Welcome to Belts, Bumps, and Barbed Wire, a podcast brought to you by DMVProWrestling.com. Thanks for joining us today. Now on with the show. I'm your host, Jeff Quentin, and my guest today is Andy Weinberg, who's a wrestling manager, an actor whose credits include... Let me do the proper introduction. My name is the winner, Andy Weinberg, and I'm here today as... You should be kissing my feet today because I am the greatest manager on the independent wrestling scene. If you haven't heard of me before, you're going to hear about me now. You're going to hear my story. I'm going to tell you like it is. We're going to have a good time. I'm going to answer your questions if I please. And at the end of the day, I'm still going to be a winner. Jeff, we'll see if you're a winner or a loser. Okay, we'll have to find out. So for my first question, I just wanted to ask you to tell me about your early experiences watching wrestling in person and on TV. So out of all the questions to ask me, that's what you came up with for your first one. That's a good question. So the first time I saw wrestling was, I'm going to tell you the, the match, December of 1983. And I had a buddy of mine over the house. His name was Jeff Capper, still a friend of mine to this day. And... He said, there's a show on at 4 p.m. on Fox 45 that you got to watch. And it was called WWF Wrestling. It was one of the mornings, you know, we were very spoiled here in Maryland. You had the WWF at 10 o'clock. You had the NWA, which became WCW at 11 o'clock. And then you had 4 o'clock was another show called, I believe it was Wrestling Challenge, something to that degree. Anyway. I saw a match on that show. It was between the Wild Samoans, Afonsica managed by the great Captain Lou Albano versus Tony Atlas and Rocky Johnson. And Rocky Johnson and Tony Atlas actually won the WWF Tag Team Championships. It was an epic day. It was a time where typically you didn't see any black champions. They really set the tone um, for future uh, generations of ethnic superstars to come in, but that match was hardcore. It had chairs, it had punches, it had a little bit of everything. And it was a match that stood out and got me hooked. When I say hooked, I was hooked and I didn't miss a single show after that. Are there any favorite memories you have of watching wrestling as a fan when you were younger? Oh, there's tons. You know, I always enjoyed the, um, the storylines. I mean, my favorite wrestlers obviously were Hulk Hogan. There was nobody to me larger than life than the Hulkster. Um, he was, and when, when, before he started coming out to real America, he came out to the eye of the tiger cause he came off the Rocky three, um, movie with Sylvester Stallone, which the theme there was eye of the tiger and that particular movie with Mr. T and Sylvester Stallone and Hulk Hogan to me just was the, you know, the epitome of the, uh, you know, the American superhero. He had the look, you know, he had the size, he had the moves and he beat the iron Sheik, who was the, um, he was such a bad villain. He was so good at what he did and everybody despised Iran at that time. We had some, um, hostage situations in real life taking place. And this man stood that for everything that America wasn't the great thing about wrestling to me growing up was before I watched wrestling, um, I was into like, you know, comic books and I love Superman, the Superman franchise with Christopher Reeve. Um, you know, I'd see Batman on TV back then. They had that in there with Adam West, um, you know, different things. You had cartoon, a lot of cartoons with those, you know, Marvel and DC superheroes. But at the end of the day, you always knew they weren't real. You know, they were just a story. But when you turned on and you saw wrestling, you know, as an eight, nine, 10 year old, 
you saw these real individuals that were larger than life. And the, these guys, to me, I gravitated to them because it was also a boom at that time, you know, where you had guys like Arnold Schwarzenegger, Lou Ferrigno as the Hawk um, on your TV sets. And they were starting to explode at that point as well. And again, they're like larger than life superheroes. And you have a guy like Hulk Hogan and you have a guy like Jimmy Superfly Snooker who could jump off the top rope like nothing you've ever seen before barefoot um, and have a body of a Greek god. And you see these um, individuals growing up, you know, with Macho Man Randy Savage and Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. I mean, I could go on all day, you know, and then then you had the bad guys like, you know, your Big John Studs and your King Kong Bundys and of course your Andre the Giants. And you're like, these guys are real. These guys are so real. And you just couldn't wait to the next one and the next one. And then you had a, you know, you had the the nemesis of Hulk Hogan, Rowdy Roddy Piper. Um, and he was so good, so such a good talker and someone that you just love to hate. And you believed it. You know, I, I would literally, if I, if I was in a street and I saw somebody like a Big John Studd, a Rowdy Roddy Piper, a King Kong Bundy, a Paul Warndorf, I'm literally scared, you know, because... The um, I looked at them as being like the Joker to, you know, to Batman or, you know, the Lex Luthor to Superman. Um, that to me is was was just so real. And it just I gravitated towards it. I couldn't get enough of it. And talk to me about what it was like to be in Sabatino's after wrestling shows at the Baltimore Arena. Yeah, so I would um, sometimes go there because, you know, you went, that's the only way you really meet wrestlers, more the NWA, the WCW guys, more than anybody else. So you would go to the shows. Ric Flair loves Sabatino. It's kind of like the Jimmy's Famous Seafood of today where the wrestlers, they love Jimmy's Famous Seafood. John Menadakis, he takes care of these guys that come in town like, like no other um, today. And there's a gentleman by the name of Ricky Rotunda. Um, he's since sold his share of Sabatino's. He would take care of the guys that came down. Um, guys like Dusty Rhodes and Nikita Koloff and Brian Pillman, uh, Rick Rude, Manny Fernandez, Hector Guerrero. I could keep going on and on the guys that I met and got pictures with down there. But to be able to um, go there was always just fun. They were always nice to the, um, the, 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 the fans. I was lucky that Ricky, again, that owner, he was good friends with my um, great-grandfather who he was very, my great grandfather was very well connected and um, he did a lot of business with Ricky. So I had a great in there uh, and Ricky would take me right up to the guys to meet him and talk to him and get pictures with him and whatnot. But it was something I wouldn't miss. I, mean, I remember being, it was my junior prom night. I wasn't the most um, popular guy in the world, but I would go to my junior prom. I actually didn't care, could care less about that. I went to Sabatino's and people were walking in, you know, with tuxedos and dresses on that I, people I went to school with. And I'm sitting there with an autograph book and a camera <laughs> to get to get autographs. Uh, probably would have been the same way, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> it's the life. <laughs> okay, so for my next question, how did you get into pro wrestling as a manager? Well, that was a long process. See, a lot of people don't know this about me, so I'm going to take you even further back. When I was um, 14 years old, how old are you, Jeff? I'm 49, turning 50 this year. Well, I'm the same, you and I are the same exact age. So we, um, well, there was, there was independent wrestling here started up. There was guys, um, that it, by the name of Larry Katz did a radio show on WCBM 680. Um, and there's a gentleman by the name of uh, Howard Goldman that was a referee. And the two of them 
um, would take me to shows out in uh, for Dick Karakoff is his name and Neil Karakoff, the, Neil the Power Superior. They promoted shows in if you take the 70 route, you go out towards Western Maryland and then you go into that West Virginia, Virginia side, towns like Baker, uh, Baker. I think it's Baker, West Virginia or Baker, Virginia, Kaiser, West Virginia, Martinsburg, West Virginia. Um, towns uh, that Petersburg, I remember Petersburg being a town um, all over the map every weekend that he ran shows and he would bring one or two big names in guys like Bam Bam Bigelow, Ivan Cola, um, Manny Fernandez, Rick Rude, Paul Orndorff, um, Nikolai Volkov. And I ended up um, being very lucky. I was the ring attendant at 14 years of age. I didn't even drive yet. So these guys would pick me up and take me to the shows, driving back off of my grandmother's who lived by the ring announcer. And then I would do it again sometimes even the next day if it was a friday i'd do it again on a saturday so it was kind of cool like you're living your childhood meeting all these guys that's awesome right um kind of neat and then um as time went on uh i got to um well obviously you know there's a strong connection between nikolai volkov and i and i'm nikolai's um adopted son you know he has two daughters and always wanted a boy and i became that boy eventually and we met very young um I met, I met him when I was very young and thank God I have him. He's, he was the greatest mentor I ever had from there. Eventually I did a lot of independence, you know, guys with Axel Rotten and Ian Rotten and all the different companies that were based in Maryland and corporal punishment, um, different guys through, um, ASWA was one, UIW was one, MEWF, which later became, you know, MCW. So I, I got very involved there, but before I got him manager, I actually worked for Paul Heyman for ECW for seven years behind the scenes. Um, if you go watch any of the pay-per-views, more like probably the last 10, you'll see somebody with a tie on and headphones. That's myself talking to Heyman. Um, and we still communicate to this day, but the um, it was I, I was literally at every ECW show for about a seven-year period as doing basically whatever Paul Heyman needed me to do. From then, I, um, you know, eventually, you know, uh, got married, had a child, and that's right. You know, that's was my priority in life is my child. But I wanted to do something to stay involved. I always knew I had the ability to talk and, and talk some serious trash and get people to hate me. So um, I'm a very easily hated person. I don't like people. I'm a miserable guy. I like to stay home, be left alone. That's who I am. I don't like to be around wrestling fans that much because of their odor and the fact that they don't bathe or shower. For the majority, I hope you do, Jeff. But anyway, um, I ended up eventually going into being a manager. With first, I started with um, Brian Hardy. I started a promotion here called M. Uh, what was it called Maryland Wrestling Federation (MWF)? And then from there, there was um, James Ellsworth's ACW. From there, I was doing some other independence in Pennsylvania and whatnot. And then finally, came to MCW which was like my home base company that I love and honored to be a part of. And from there, I've been kind of branched out um, more locally than anything by choice to do things like in, you know, West Virginia, Virginia. I do a lot in Jersey, not as much right now because of the, um, the beach traffic. I don't like being involved in that too much, but I'll get back there in September. And, um, um, you know, just different places I've had the ability. I've been to California for a show, uh, North Carolina, just, was out with Ricardo Rodriguez, Alberto Del Rio, um, Jake the Snake, and a few others were with us out in California, recently Los Angeles, and WrestleMania weekend, which was awesome. They flew us out and um, took, really took good care of us. So it's been fun. Are there any wrestlers or managers that influenced you in how you've 
applied your trade since you've become a manager? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, growing up, first of all, you know, I had the 80s managers such as, um, you know, Captain Lou Albano, Freddie Blassie, the Grand Wizard, um, Jim, you know, guys like Jimmy Hart, um, Jimmy Hart, Bobby Heenan, obviously, and Roddy Piper was a manager as well, you know, for guys like Dr. D. David Schultz before he became an active wrestler. But I can tell you that um, for myself, the biggest influence on a personal level has been Jimmy Hart. Um, we're really good friends. And I used to, believe it or not, you see the crazy dress that I wear, that, not dress, I don't wear a dress, obviously, but I wear a crazy outfit that's colorful and definitely stands out from the crowd. The reason is because, you know, Jimmy Hart gave me the best advice ever. I used to wear a black suit with a tie. Um, you can go through some old pictures on my social media and see that. But everybody has that same suit. Everybody has a similar tie. And Jimmy Hart said, you got to make yourself stand out and look different. So now I'm the guy with the rainbow suit, the colorful guy. And it really helped me. Um, embrace the character and um, really turn it on to another notch. So I'm going to give Jimmy Hart a lot of credit there. Okay. I tend to do that with my shirts when I go to wrestling shows too. So I have some pretty wild shirts that I wear sometimes. Awesome, man. Maybe, maybe I'll wear them to the ring one day. And then what current wrestlers have you enjoyed working with the most? Oh man, there's so many. I can tell you, um, from the past, I mean, guys, you know, I work with guys like, you know, Ryo and Jeremiah and guys, um, I mean, there's so many people that I, that I've managed throughout, you know, Tom Brandy, Mike Kalua, but the guys that really stand out the most, I mean, I'm going to, I'll tell you, it's, um, great chemistry is, is key. And, um, in Pennsylvania, central Pennsylvania, there's a group named Hollywood's finest guys like Eddie smooth, Laszlo, Kevin Murphy, love working with them. Love, love, love working with my King, Ryan McBride, hands down one of my favorite people to be out there with. We have great chemistry. Um, you know, it, it's just something that just either it does works or it doesn't work. The, um, so the King and I really, um, we, we help elevate I would say a manager is someone that elevates talent. And talent can also help elevate that manager because it gives you, you know, credibility as a manager. You want somebody that can actually wrestle and look the part and act the part and be the part. So a guy like King McBride's definitely that. I'd say um, Big Sean Studd was an awesome fixture with me. Um, it was like a Bobby Heenan, Big John Studd type thing. You know, we had great success. We won the MCW Heavyweight Championship. So, you know, definitely him. I'm, I'm going to get crucified probably because I'm not going to mention certain people's names, but uh, Big big Gene Snitsky, him and I just recently did some shows together. Hands down, it was just awesome, man. It was, like, again, the big giant with an 80s type manager, which I think is a lost art, and I'm trying to bring that back. Um, I, you know, I don't, again, the fans hate me for good reason, but to be able to work with a guy like that, to work out with, to work with veterans like King Kalua and, um, Tom Brandy's great. Um, uh, James Ellsworth and I, when we're together, him and I always have phenomenal chemistry. It's just easy. He's had the great experience of being on WWE television. So, um, you know, the, the two of us can, you know, he's, a, he's, he's, he gets it. You know, he understands that less is more and that's, you know, we, we, we have a good, really good chemistry and I'm real high on working with him. Um, anybody I work with, I really love my goal in every uh, show that I do is to get the biggest reactions for my guys. That's the most important thing that they get over, um, bigger than anyone else, but it's about the company. It's about, it's not about me. It's about the talent that I um, work with and just, I hope I can be a voice for them to make them better than they were before they found me.
uh, could you talk more about how you came to work in MCW and what some of your fondest memories are you have from working there? Man, I have so many great memories at MCW. So I'll, I'll tell you, you know, when um, I came to work for MCW, I forgot what year it was, but um, I was talking to, um, you know, Dan McDevitt, the owner, and, and we have this kid, Jeremiah, and I work with this kid, Ryo, over there. Great talents. Um, but I, they put me with this kid, Jeremiah, and we immediately started clicking um, almost immediately. And uh, MCW's got, you know, a great reputation, as you know. Um, there's some great independent wrestling in this area. But the um, MCW, we started, you know, working together, have a working relationship. And the guys I managed there, I mean, it's not a lot. And I think that's what makes us stand out so much is the fact that, you know, I had Jeremiah, I had uh, Rayo, had Big Sean Studd in my initial stable. And then from there, we brought Big Josh Briggs in later on. And then, of course, Ryan McBride. And the, the memories that I have that stand out the most were um, there was a match. It was called, um, I forgot what the name of it was, but it was probably one of those brutal matches I've ever seen and ever been a part of in my life is with the Bruiser. You know, when Sean Studd wrestled the Bruiser, I learned more during that feud. I thought I knew about professional wrestling. Um, and I said, I tell people this all the time. I always thought I knew everything going in. Not everything, but I, think, I thought I knew a lot. After working with R.J. Meyer, the bruiser, I realized I didn't know anything. This guy taught me so much. And he told me, he said, this is a crash course. I, I sent you out to the wolves. He told me that once. I to work with him and got to pick his brain and learn so much. I mean, he was tough on me, and I get it, and I understand why. Um, he wanted me to be better and, and be the best that I can do and make sure. His big thing was to make sure people believe, and I, I think I've learned that craft. But he um, – Bruiser was uh, that match we had. It was, I forgot what it was, a Highway to Hell or something like that it was called. And it was chairs. I went through a table. He choke slammed me through a table, and the table was um, diagonally leaning against the the ropes. And I mean, I'll never forget it. You know, and the, half the table came and crashed on my chest. Um, that was a big one. The night Sean Studd choke slammed um, Bruiser through the. Um, through, through the uh, stage area. It was just unbelievable, man. That was against Ryback. And then they had the, you know, the uh, bruiser was the referee there. Um, Knights where Ryan McBride and um, had won like the television title. You know, that was a big day for us. Um, not too long. The last show that they had there, that I was on there, um, they had their bunkhouse stampede that I was a part of. That stands out. Um, but I think more so it's watching the young talent for me. Um, the up and comers, I'll sit in the back and just watch matches on the, on the monitor and literally just watch these young men and women do what they do and become so good at what they do. And then you can see why a lot of these um, individuals have the opportunity to get signed at different places coming from MCW. So it's, it's really a cool thing. You know, um, I, I, I love it. It's just, there's so many great memories there. I mean, that place is is like the ECW arena to me. It's like Madison Square Garden. It's like the Baltimore, you read the book, you know, about the Baltimore Civic Center history, Baltimore Arena history. And I compared the MC, hopefully maybe one day there's a book about the MCW arena um, or the RJ Meyer arena. And we can uh, tell some great stories. I liked your video message to Stratton Sam Adonis in, a, in that match recently, fairly recently. That's another guy. You, that's another guy. See, I know, like you said, people slip. Sam and I have a phenomenal chemistry together. 
I love working with Sam. Sam is so talented. Um, Sam's probably one of the best unsigned talents as far as to the major. I know he just signed a, a contract with MLW, which is a great company, but Sam's on the brink of something big, I think. Um, he's a big star in Mexico, but I do think it's a matter of time before um, WWE or AEW pick him up. It's it's tough now in WWE because they don't always want the um, guys on the indie scene. They'd rather teach him their own way. But I think a guy like Sam Adonis is the exception. He's definitely a guy that has the potential to get signed based on the um, reputation he's gained from the uh, independent wrestling scene and in, in MLW in Mexico. So recently I saw a comment by Dan McDevitt following the death of the Iron Sheik that mentioned you. Could you talk to, to me about your relationship with this Iron Sheik? Yeah, sure. So I, I met Iron Sheik when I was about um, 14 years old and uh, Sheik and I always remained friends um, from the time we were, uh, since the time I was 14 and just got to know him really well. I used to travel with him a little bit. Uh, I have some amazing stories about the Iron Sheik. Again, that would have to be <laughs> in a book one day. But um, Iron Sheik was so good at what he did, but he was the guy that would also give you the shirt off his back. I've been around him when he's gotten fights and arguments and stuff like that. But the guy would literally never let me buy a dinner. He'd always pay for me. He always had a gift. He lived in Atlanta, Georgia. Whenever he flew here, he always had a little gift for me, whatever it may be, like a Olympic pin or something to that regard. Everybody hears the crazy Iron Sheik stories, but um, he was one of a kind that really had just the greatest heart he would do anything for anybody if it was autographs whatever it was he would hold Nikolai up sometimes from they would actually miss planes because the Iron Sheik would be at airports literally signing for everybody he never wanted a kid to be without um, but him and I spoke on the phone often he got to know my son the first question that you know he knew me when I was 14 my son's um, 18 now but the first question that the Iron Sheik would always ask me is how's your son doing and um he watched me grow up and become a man and he uh he always had good advice he was a real you know he was a man's man he was a great athlete he was a tough guy really tough and uh, he's a shooter you know he's someone that can legitimately hurt somebody but he um always protected me from certain things and being uh, i don't want to get into detail too much but he was great in the fact that he would care for me enough to make sure that i was away and even out of his, even not near him at certain times because maybe things that they were doing that I shouldn't be around when I was so young. And he, I knew what they were doing, but he protected me from it. And I always respected him for that and loved him for that. And could you talk to me about your relationship with Dan McDevitt through MCW's history? Yeah, of course. So I saw Dan actually, I saw, I saw his very first match as Corporal Punishment back in, I forgot what year it was, but you know, he was trained by guys like Axel Rotten. I was good friends with Axel Rotten. Um, here, you know, we used to do a radio show together on um, 10, 10 a.m. with Dixie Davis. And uh, uh, I mean, again, this is I could be on here all day with you guys telling these stories. But Dan McDevitt is a guy that um, wrestled. I watched him wrestle. He's a great wrestler for the area. I mean, he was really good. You know, I've seen him wrestle against guys, you know, and with guys like Road Warrior Hawk and different guys. You know, he, he's a big fan, too. You know, at the end of the day, that's what this is. This is. Um, I think he's living his um, childhood dream, but then he also realized he can make this into a business. Dan was one of the smart ones that realized that um, there's a way to make money in this business and there's also a way to develop talent. And um, I think Dan's legacy will be it's bigger than MCW. I think that him and Dennis, what they put together will be um, it's it's 
it's going to go on forever. It's going to be the the words of wisdom that Dave taught. And Dan's a smart guy. You know, Dan's a, a good businessman, and um, he's going. You know, he, him and Bruiser, all those guys, they, their impact is going to last forever through the talent um, that you see, and they're going to pass it on from generation to generation. And you can see it happening now. You have guys like Drolix and Ken Dixon and Joe Keys and Dante. You know, they came in as students under RJ. You know, the Bruiser and their wisdom and their learnings from Dan McDevitt included and the bruiser are going to be passed on from generation to generation and continue. So his impact will be here long after. I hope Dan lives a long life, well, until his hundreds, hopefully. And, um, but his legacy will be bigger than, I mean, there's always MCW, but it's going to be bigger than that. You know, you see people on TV on a weekly basis that he's had his hand in and, um, has helped mold it to become the individuals that, that they are today. Dan and I talk once in a while, for sure. You know, we can always um, we talk. We don't always talk about wrestling. We talk about other things too. But um, Dan's a really I like to talk to him because he's a really smart guy, and um, he gets the wrestling business for sure. He gets it, which is um, he gets the fact that it's a business, but he also understands the old school mentality that I like when he's promoting and and um, booking shows that he wants the fans to really. Go home happy and go home vested in the storylines. And he's he, the guy sells out, you know, and how many promoters can do that with just local talent, you know, but he's created, you know, ECW. Sometimes you don't know who's going to wrestle, but, you know, ECW, if you heard WWE was coming to town, you're going to buy your tickets. You're not going to know who's even going to be there. And MCW's kind of created that brand as well to have it um, to stand out as probably one of the leading, if not the most leading independent wrestling company in the, in the United States. What moment in pro wrestling are you proudest of that you were involved in? Hasn't happened yet. I'll say that. How's that? Okay. I don't know what it's going to be. I, don't, I always say I live. I don't live in the past. I've had some great moments, great moments. And maybe you ask me that question in 10 years, 15 years, I'll tell you and have a definitive answer for you. But I think that in my mind, the best is yet to come. And what is your most embarrassing moment in pro wrestling? Well, I've had a few of those. I've had Jake the Snake take my um, pants off. Luckily, I had underwear on and and put a, put a snake um, on my on my pants on my on my um, body. We'll say um, I've had Fruit Loops being bashed over my head by Greg Excellence's mother. Um, I I've had I've tripped. I've fall I've fallen. I. I've been eliminated with a slap on the back of a bunkhouse stampede by Drolix. Um, I've had Hornswoggle literally pull my pants down at me in the head with it. Why are you laughing, Jeff? <laughs> um, sorry. Uh, hit me in the head with a um, box of Fruit Loops. Um, there seems to be a, 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 a consistent thing here with this Fruit Loop boxes. But I've had some really interesting, definitely had some embarrassing moments. Um, I think I, but the most embarrassing to me is looking at the fans. Uh, they should be embarrassed themselves, the way they dress, the way they, that's embarrassing. You may have answered this question already without me asking it yet, but what is the hardest bump you've taken? It's that I would definitely say, hopefully that's the last time I take a big bump like that. It's the, uh, the, the one from Bruiser. Um, when he put me through the table, Bruiser put me through a trash can. Um, I had the Red Scorpion, in, in, who's a big star in, in uh, Lancaster, Pennsylvania area, give me a power slam. Uh, Alec Odom gave me a power slam. 
So I've taken a bunch of bumps. Um, but you know what? Hey, it is what it is. And I also have this thing place. Pretty embarrassing, too, from Rikishi once. That was rough. What's your favorite food? Um, salmon. Okay, your favorite drink? Uh, water. Your favorite band or musician? The Beatles. Your favorite vacation spot? Uh, that's a good question. I'll say the Caribbean. And the last book you read? The last book I read was, oh gosh, it's by that writer from WWE. What's his name? Brian Gerwitz? Yeah, I read that book too. Yeah, that was a good book. That's the last one I read. I don't read a lot. You were talking about Nikolai Volkov making his adopted son. I had the good fortune of meeting him the first time I was ever in the MCW arena. And he was a great guy to everybody that was that was waiting in line to see the Four Horsemen, which I didn't know he was going to be there when I just went to that event. And I got to talk to him at length and get my picture made with him. It was one of the greatest parts of that day that I wasn't expecting. So he's just he was just really nice guy to everybody that was talking to him. He would talk to people for a long time. I just wondered if you had anything you could add to that. Yes, absolutely. So I actually had brought him. I, I used to. I brought him to that show. I remember that one distinctly. Um, I used to take him to the MCW arena with me to the uh, to the show. So he would do the autographs and stuff like that. Um, Nikolai was a guy that came from um, communism from from Yugoslavia. He was a Yugoslavian heavyweight champion. Him and this gentleman by the name of Igor, and the two of them were the um, strongest men in the entire country. And they um, both together were invited to a um, weightlifting tournament in Vienna, Austria in 1968, which actually featured Arnold Schwarzenegger too. And the two of them um, escaped Yugoslavia. It was a communist country. I won't get into too much details what that means, but everybody should learn what communism is. And he, uh, he escaped. And then from um, Vienna, Austria, he won that tournament. And then he went to um, Calgary, Alberta, Canada, and went to actually work there um, with a Croatian group of people from Yugoslavia as well um, that also escaped because it's hard. You have to support each other and live in a group because you can't really, you know, they have to find jobs and, and whatnot. From there, he ended up um, watching TV one day and he already knew who Bruno San Martino was. He was watching TV and saw Stampede Wrestling on. And long, lo and behold, he would eventually become the first graduate, believe it or not, of the um, Heart Dungeon by Stu Hart. He's number one graduate there. He would actually, while, while he was training, he would actually babysit guys like Owen Hart and Bret Hart and the whole family because the the dad was on the road a lot. And he would take his wife, Helen Hart. Is Helen, was that her name, Helen? I forget her name. Um, I think yeah, I think it was Helen. And he would watch the kids and they would always make him dinner. He liked that because it didn't cost him anything. But he, um, Nikolai Volkov came to America eventually. He was a part of the very first sellout of Madison Square Garden that they ever had. No circus, nothing ever sold that. No concert like the match between Bruno San Martino and Nikolai Volkov did initially because the, the guy was so big and that was a big deal back then. Um, and then I guess the rest became history. You know, he, um, he played a bad guy. He played a Russian sympathizer, obviously. He was against doing that because his heart was so set on not doing anything with communism, believe it or not. And Freddie Blassie set him down and said, this is an opportunity for you to make a lot of money. This is an opportunity to, for you to, to educate the American public about what communism is and what it stands for and reasons why you despise them. And he did it and he had a phenomenal career doing so. And 
he became you know, a Hall of Famer. To me, it's the epitome of the American dream. Um, but at the end, at everywhere you know he went, he was so um, appreciative to fans and glad of his way to talk to them, to try to help them, if they, you know, whether it be with diet or exercise. He wanted people to um, know the real Nikolai Volkov and that he was um, you know, a true family man. Family meant him to him more than anything else in the world, and his um, his the the opportunities that he was given because you know as a foreigner in this country through hard work and dedication. Um, hopefully, he, he his mark in the world is not necessarily the wrestling, which you know, that's what you know him for, but really pursuing a dream and being able to. Um, come from nothing with $50 in a gym bag and a suit in your bag with absolutely nothing else to be able to exemplify what a American dream is and was. He, uh, he was very grateful for those opportunities that he had. Okay. Now let's talk about this weekend's events with MCW's silver anniversary. I know there's Shamrock cup Saturday night. There's the fan jam Sunday during the day. And then there's, Legacy, the legacy event Sunday night where you're going to be managing. Yeah, uh, this is going to be one of the biggest weekends ever. I'm going to tell you this right now, ever in MCW history, without a doubt. I'm going to tell you right now. I mean, the fact that the Fan Jam, the convention, is going to be free. People are crazy not to go. Um, if you're hearing this right now, I hope everybody's going to show up there um, just to see and learn what MCW is. The fact that you have an organization literally in Maryland, right in you know the suburbs of Baltimore County and Hartford County, it's amazing to me that um, the, the future – you'll see better wrestling there, believe it or not, than you'll see on TV sometimes. Um, you'll see better athletes, better talkers. I'm 100% in, all in with these guys. and. Um, you're going to see the Hardy boys, you know, at, it's, it's going to be unbelievable. You know, you got guys, um, like Brandon Scott, you got guys like Flip Gordon's going to be there. Um, I know Eric Bischoff's coming in, um, but the events itself is going to be just priceless. Um, Ryan McBride, um, and I, we kind of sit to ourselves in the MCW lock. We have like a room to ourselves. We don't associate with anybody else. And, Ken Dixon, I'd be, I'm not sure if you ever had Ken Dixon on your show or not, but I'm going to be honest with you. He doesn't like me and I don't like him. You know what I mean? From day one, we just never really hit it off. You know, he's a beer drinker. You just asked me what my favorite drink was. I told you it was water. You know what I mean? He would laugh at me for here. He called me a wuss, but you know what? They call me a wuss, but at the end of the day, I'm a winner. Okay. But I respect his abilities. I respect what he can do. And I also respect the history of, and the, and the legacy of MCW. And you look at guys like um, Ronnie Zuko. You know, Ronnie Zuko was in MCW many, many moons ago, and um, now his son's wrestling, you know, Ryan Zuko. And I've watched this kid, Ryan, not just in MCW. I watched him recently in a show at Branson, West Virginia. I'm going to tell you something. This kid is he's, – he's getting it, and he's got it now. This kid's definitely got a heck of a future, and um, you're going to hear the name Ryan Zuko. But I know that my guys, uh, James Ellsworth, um, I got – Ryan McBride, my king, and of course, 98 Rocks, Justin Slagle has decided to come and put the boots on as well. We we spoke, and he's going to come out and wrestle as well in the six-man, so I'll be there to manage them. And let me tell you something. the You, you, you want to stop the momentum. I, I literally – I take wins and losses very serious. Okay, say what you want about professional wrestling. I, I take titles very serious because that means you've, 
you're doing your job to win titles and wins and losses. That Ken Dixon, I understand, he did an interview. I haven't seen it yet on Facebook this week or last week, whatever it was. And he's talking about he wants one more run. He wants Rob Locke. He wants the championship. We're going to do everything we can to stop that from happening. Okay, we're going to do everything we can to hurt this guy. All right, we're going to do everything we can to stop the momentum of Ryan Zuko. He's getting so much momentum to, to us. The king is still the future of MCW. The king is still the future of MCW. I'll say it one more time. The king, even though he's had a lot of success in the past, is still the future of MCW. What does that mean? That means that we have to stop kids. I'm going to say that kids, like in their diapers, like a Ryan Zuko, who's gaining momentum as the future of MCW. You know, we have to have the veteran who has the knowledge, has the sense, has the psychology to beat this youngster in Ryan Zuko. So I need the king to really step up his game. I need Ellsworth to step up the game. And Slagle hasn't been around in a while, but I understand he's been training like crazy and working out constantly. And he's in good shape right now. So to me, we're going to go out there and we're going to have talks about it. And there's no fun and games with this. I take this very seriously. This is a very serious thing. And this Sunday, you're going to see my three guys take on those three guys and it's going to be an all out war. Do you have a special message for, I'm just going to refer to him by his first name, Bobby, the sign guy that has all the signs about you, the fruit loop signs. I can't stand that guy. Now you got me excited. Now you got my blood boiling right now. Let me tell you something. Okay. There's a guy named Bobby Harris. Okay. This guy is like kryptonite to me. This guy comes with, Oh, he, he look, I'm not kidding. When I say this, Jeff, I have nightmares, nightmares, Bobby Harris. I, there's nights I cannot sleep at night. He's in my dreams. I'll be in the shower and I think I see a sign somewhere. I could be driving somewhere and I see something colorful. I think it's him holding up a sign. If I see a rainbow after a rainstorm in the sunshine, I think Bobby Harris is behind it. This guy has gotten under my skin like no other person in the world. Since the day I was born, I'm 49 years old. I'll be 50 this year. Nobody, nobody, nobody has gotten under my skin more than Bobby Harris. And I'm telling you what, I'm not afraid to call the police on this guy. I'm not afraid to call my lawyers on this guy. I hope he's got good lawyers because let me tell you something. One day I'm going to take him to court. I will sue him. If he keeps bringing these signs, it's harassment. Okay? It's harassment what he does to me. He gets the crowd calling me a – I don't want to say it, but it's – he gets them calling me a fruit loop. It makes me crazy. Okay? This guy, Bobby Harris, is in my head day and night, even dreams. Well, it's not dreams. It's nightmares. I see him, and I see his signs every single day of my life. I have to go to therapy. I have to go see a psychiatrist because of Bobby Harris. That's how bad it is. And he, I'm sure he'll be there with his signs, and I hope I can rip up each and every one of them. He'll have some chicken signs for Ryan, too. So, Well, he better not do that either because you know Ryan has a tough time with that as well. It's, it's just not right. You know, he's, he's, he's hurting us. It's total harassment. He should be, we're going to, we're going to, it sucks. Johnny Cochran's not here anymore. Cause I would dig up Johnny Cochran if I had to, to go after this guy, Bobby Harris. Well, wow, now you got me all worked up, Jeff. You can't mention his name to me. You don't understand. You can't mention the name Bobby Harris. Okay. The name B O B B Y is a name. I can't even, I can't fathom even saying that name to anybody. Or here, if somebody else has that same name, B O B B Y, I don't even say the name anymore. It makes me absolutely insane. I meet somebody by that name, I have to walk away because I think of Paris.
and I can't take it anymore. You don't understand what I go through. And he says this thing. I'm going to tell you what he says to me, okay? I got to say it real quiet because I'm going to make myself crazy if I say it. He looks at me, and he calls me. You ready for this? A oh, Man, just to say it, I'm, I got tears in my eyes right now. A fruit loopy loop. No, I can't say it. I can't do it. He gets me, Jeff, every single time. And I can't take it anymore. And somebody needs to put this guy in prison where we just got to get a lawyer. I'm trying to get Stephen L. Miles to come out of retirement and help me out here because I do have a car. I do have a phone. So I should have a lawyer. Okay. And no, don't laugh about this. This is a very serious thing. Okay. It's very serious. Very serious. Could you run down your personal so social media account handles for us and anything else you want to promote? Um, just look up Andy Wynn Weinberg. Um, you know, I'm, I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook a lot. Um, I try to keep you guys up there. Andy Wynn Weinberg. Uh, come to the shows. You know, if support local independent wrestling. Support any wrestling throughout the state of Maryland. Come out and see me on Sunday at Fan Jam. Come out and see the winner with his winners, Justin Slagle, James Ellsworth, and my King McBride. This Sunday, as we stop the momentum of the so-called future, Ryan Zuko and the past, his dad, Ronnie, and of course, the bearded, stone-cold Steve Austin wannabe, Ken Dixon. Or is there calling him now Big Papa Joppa? Yeah, well, that's, that's appropriate for him. Thanks for being on and really enjoyed this interview with you today and look forward to seeing you this weekend. I'll see you at the matches. Be there. Now on with the credits. I'm Jeff Quentin, your host. Our executive producer is Scott English. Our production assistant is Josie Quentin. Thank you for joining us today, and we look forward to talking to you on our next show.